Farming with Nature is proudly brought to you by SSK. Work together, win together. Welcome to episode three of the Conservation Agriculture podcast series. My name is Andrew Ardington and I am from the Regenerative Agriculture Association of Southern Africa. My co-host is Henk de Beer. In episode three, entitled The Utilization of Cover Crops and Their Implications for Conservation Agricultural Systems, Henk and I will be chatting with Rens Smith. Rens is a researcher from the Western Cape Department of Agriculture who did his master's on cover crops in conservation agriculture systems. Cover crops are the next frontier in conservation agriculture, and we will get insights from Rens, the research he has done, and the research they are continuing to do. Rens did his MSc on cover crops, and he's here to talk to us today. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Rens, can you start off just by giving us a totally personal, relaxed introduction of yourself and how you became involved in CA and the route that you took to get where you are today? So I was born and raised on a farm. I had a passion for agriculture since short after birth. I was managing a sheep flock at the age 10, I think. And since then, attended agricultural school, went to Stellenbosch University to study BC agriculture. And the conservation agriculture part I was subjected to in my studies a little bit, but it really started when I initially started my MEC in the utilization of cover crops under Peter Schwanepoel and Johann Strauss. So I did trials on cover crops and ever since I've been working in conservation agriculture together with Johann Strauss. Quite a large part of our audience are not people well-versed in the terminology that we use every day. Can you just explain what a cover crop is? Okay, so a cover crop is a crop that you plant not for the sole purpose of harvesting it, but rather for the benefits you can get from the crop in terms of soil health and long-term increase in production because of that specific crop you planted. So the other side of the equation, I suppose, is a cash crop which you plant and that's like wheat or canola and you're going to harvest that and get paid directly for the harvest that year. Yeah, it's quite a mind shift to plant something with not a purpose to harvest it at the end of the growing season. Can you give us an introduction into your MSc and what specifically you were looking at and what you ultimately learned from that? We started off... Cover crops weren't really a big thing in the Western Cape and in our conservation agriculture and all the agricultural systems we are limited in terms of diversity and we saw cover crops as a nice opportunity to increase the diversity in our cropping systems. The difficult thing is usually a cover crop is planted between your cash cropping season, so in your fallow seasons, if you're a summer corn producer, you'll plant a cover crop in the winter when you don't have maize on the fields. The difficult thing in our area in the Western Cape, with a strong Mediterranean climate, we plant our crops in the winter season and in the summer it's just too hot to plant anything and to dry. 
So we decided you have to plant a cover crop within the same season as your cash crop. So you have to substitute one season's production because when you have the cover crop on the field, you can't plant your cash crop. And we wanted to see if you utilize that cover crop as a grazing or as hay, how big will the negative influence be on the functional role of cover crops. So see if you use it for something else except just the cover crop, would it be negative? That's why the study was done. And the results? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as I said, initially we started off we wanted to see what the negative effect will be if we utilize the cover crop. We ended up seeing if you manage your cover crop right and you utilize it as grazing, the grazing can actually have a positive effect on the benefits you get from cover crop. So the main reason we think that is when the material passes through the animals and they graze the cover crop, they just break down some of the material, all the manure and dung goes onto the field, which just help with the cycling of nutrients. So it's faster from the plant into the soil. Some of the cover crops growing there can utilize the manure and the dung. And the following cash crop season can also utilize that. And after you graze, your cover crops can regrow again and you can still get the benefit of cover crops. The crucial thing we did is we only utilized the cover crop once and then left it to regrow. So you can't overgraze your cover crop and leave no material on the field and still expect the benefits of a cover crop. But if you utilize it correct with animals, it can have additional benefits above and beyond just having a cover crop there. So in terms of the animal utilization this is something that's come up in most of the conversations we've had so far it's a situation that Henk brought to my attention some time ago that there's actually a decrease in sheep in the overberg region where farmers are saying that there's so much compaction etc happening on their fields and erosion from having sheep and it distracts them from their primary function which is to grow cash crops in many respects for me it's the management of these animals that has the big impact or, or the lack of management as the case may be yeah i think there's quite a stigma around animals within cropping systems and how big the negative effect can be of animals and everyone focus on the negative stuff that livestock can do in a cropping system i actually think they can be very beneficial to the system as a whole dependent on the management Soil compaction can be an issue, but only if you don't have any material on the field. So if you overgraze, then compaction will be an issue. But if you're not overgrazing, you won't have the effect of compaction. And then it can actually be beneficial because you can use animals as a biological or a mechanical control method for weeds, in turn reducing your herbicide bulk. And also, as I previously said, with nutrient cycling, animals also help to process all the material, get it into the soil and increase your production. So my personal opinion, it's only management that's limiting the positive effects of livestock. If you have negative effects from livestock in a cropping system, you're not managing your animals correctly. On the other hand, if you really don't want to farm with livestock, I think it's possible to do it with still incorporating cover crops without animals 
but it's surely going to be more difficult than when you have the animals with the cover crops and it's more beneficial to have the whole package compared to only the cover crops. Yeah, I mean, if you look in the United States, there are a number of examples of people who are doing it without livestock. But I think once again, we need to look at our context here and we operate in areas that get rain for a very short time of the year generally. And for a large time, we're operating in a drier ecosystem and the ruminant, the functioning of that livestock ruminant uh, enables the breakdown of that organic matter. It provides the moisture temporarily that would lead to that breakdown um, and accelerate that whole process. Yeah, if I can just add on that, it's if you go and you look at the how animals rumen works and how the soil works, I initially started off studying animal science and looking at animal nutrition and ending up doing my master's degree in cover crops. And to see all the links between an animal's stomach and the soil is actually quite nice, like a light bulb going on when you realize it. You realize everything's connected. Everything's connected because we started to um, make up mixtures, improve the soil, and I realized but the same stuff we're adding to the mixture, which is ideal for the soil, is actually also ideal for the animals. Um, so if you have the right cover crop for your soil, you're going to have the right feed for your animals. And people spend a lot of money to get microbes in their soil. Whereas if you have animals on your field, it's live fermentation chambers walking around eating material and all the manure is filled with microbes so it's not just the chemical addition of nutrients to the soil but also microbes and the positive effect it has on the soil microbe. The stimulation of the soil biology. Lorenzo I suppose different cover crops will lead to different results some more positive than others and you spoke about mixtures and Johan also spoke about mixtures. I've got two questions Number one, do we have enough options in terms of cover crops? For example, in the Southern Cape, we use Lucerne primarily. And the second question is, mixtures are sort of a new term for me because I don't see farmers really using mixtures. Is it because it's new or is there another reason for them not using mixtures in cover crops? In Afrikaans, they say it looks dear but it doesn't look always that nice if you're used to a monoculture camp of either grazing or cash crops it looks quite odd when you have the mixture there on the field but the same reason why it looks odd it actually produces a lot more and better quality feed and it's better for the soil but just there's different opinions in terms of mixtures the more the merrier is the general belief so adding 70 different species is ideal Sadly, we don't farm in ideal conditions. So we're not necessarily going to have 70 species to include in the mixtures. I personally believe you have to use the stuff that you know is going to grow on your farm. You're going to spend money buying the seed. So if you're not sure that specific crop can survive on your farm, don't spend money on it. I normally divide it up into three components. So first component being cereals which is your grass species. It can be barley, oats, rye, rye grass, even if you're not in a um, battle with the rye grass weeds. 
and then your legumes which can be veg, peas, lupins and then brassicas which is your rapeseed and radishes. So you want all three of those components in there and the crops I just named is just a few options but that's the common crops around here so you'll be able to get them. I try to include at least three of each crop within each component and then those different components you use to balance the mixture so that you get all the functions you want from the cover crop. Quick example, if you have sheep compared to cattle, sheep wants a higher protein diet than cattle, so then you increase the amount of legumes versus the amount of cereals. And the same for the soil, if you want higher amount of nitrogen and you're planting wheat, you're going to increase the amount of legumes because the legumes provide the nitrogen for the wheat. So once again, the animals and the soil is quite the same. So a higher quality cover crop with more protein and more nitrogen will have more legumes and a lower quality but higher volumes with more carbon for the soil and more feed for your sheep will have more cereals because that a cereal plant gives more biomass compared to a legume plant. But I'll never just include one of them, just plant cereals if I want biomass because you always want that quality with the biomass. So you combine the different components, you just change the ratio depending on what your purpose is of the cover crop. Yeah, so not as easy as it seems because you can't really measure, because you can't see the increases in fertility from the one mix to the other mix. It's unseen, it's under the soil. So that makes it quite difficult, I think. Yeah, it makes it difficult, but I think in that perspective you can use your animals as an indicator if you have animals on the farm. If you have good growth and the animals are doing good on that mixture, your soil is probably also doing good on the same mixture. And it's a trial and error, you're going to go with a safe standard option, include all of the different components, more or less the same volume, and then after that you can play around for your specific form. Because if lupins doesn't work on your form, generally when you plant it as a pure crop, it doesn't mean it's not going to survive in the cover crop mixture because it's a different environment because it's not just lupins. They don't get so sick in the mixture compared to a pure stand. But if you plant something in the mixture and it doesn't grow, you don't have to seed it next year. You substitute it with a different legume or a different cereal. You don't have to be stuck and just plant one mixture for the next 20 years. You can change it every year and every camp. Yes, and everyone's more than welcome to contact me. I developed the Excel calculator to formulate the mixtures. You just have to tell me what is your purpose with the cover crop because it doesn't help to plant the cover crop because somebody told you you have to plant one. You have to decide beforehand, this is what I want to get out of it and you manage it accordingly. So if you want nitrogen and high protein, you increase the legumes. You can't tell me you want the cover crop and I give you a mixture and you plant it and then afterwards you tell me you needed more nitrogen. You need to know that beforehand. So if you look in many ways, our history of modern agriculture is a history of monoculture. 
we've tried to maximize everything and simplify everything and make it all work really well. And more and more evidence emerges this is a problem. And indeed, and then some people starting with cover crops go into monoculture cover crops, which haven't worked very well. If you look at Lucerne, you know, people look at it as being a perennial plant, but actually it's still a monoculture at the end of the day. We're still farming monocultures. I grew up on a sugar farm in KwaZulu-Natal, and there, fine, you're planting a perennial plant. You only plant every 12 years, but it's still a monoculture at the end of the day. And you've touched a number of times already on the concept of diversity and the importance of diversity. Can you go a little bit into that? One of the easiest things to explain in life, if you have to eat rice for the rest of your life and rice only, you're not going to like it and you're probably not going to stay healthy. So just giving the soil one root into the soil, you're doing exactly the same. If you look at the biology in the soil, the environment they live in determine which microbes there will be and what they're going to do. So if you only have lucerne roots there, that's going to create the environment. So the environment the microbes are living in is lucerne roots in only. And after a few years, you're only going to have microbes that eat lucerne roots because that's what's available. As soon as you bring diversity in, you diversify the soil microbes and now you have microbes eating the microbes that is negative to lucerne roots. But you have to think about the whole, the soil as an environment and not just soil because the roots you put in there creates the environment and you have to give a diverse environment to have a healthy one. And you have to take that into account also when formulating your cover crop mixtures. If you had lucerne for the past six years on the field, you're not going to include that much legumes because you had legumes there for the past 10 years. Or if you're in a wheat monoculture system, don't put too much cereals into the mixture because you only had cereals there for the past 10 years. The whole environment is set up to damage cereals so you want to change that and the only way to do that is by diversifying it. Increased diversity above the ground leads to increased diversity below the ground. Yeah and a healthier environment above the ground leads to a healthier environment below the ground. On the research farm I work with since we started using cover crops we stopped spraying any insecticides just in the cover crop just to get the above ground organisms healthy and to get the predators, natural predators in. Since then we've stopped spraying any insecticides on the whole farm but it originated from creating a healthy environment for the insects within the cover crops and that spread to the whole farm later on. You need a reserve for the healthy soil organisms and the healthy insects and that's what your cover crop will create. It's an ecosystem at the end of the day and the more and more I look at this the more I think that actually plant and soil are one thing because you can't have plants without soil and you can't have soil without plants because you take the plants away it just goes back to being dirt and we really need in our thinking going forward to literally think of them as one collective that the one can't exist without the other. Yeah, and it's a living process. If you have a dog, you can't go away for the weekend and stop feeding it. So 
you can't decide this year I'm not going to invest in diversity. Next year we can look at it again. It's an evolving ecosystem and you have to manage it as that. If you have the field bare for one year, you're going to have that effect for the following few years. It's not just a once-off. And spraying one insecticide on that ecosystem can have a large knock-on effect. It's not going to fix the system. If you have a problem, there's a problem of your system and you have to adapt your system to address that. The input costs at the moment, I don't know how you're going to do it without, say, legumes, if you're trying to produce cereals. Because we have the benefit of a legume that hosts rhizobium bacteria. They can take nitrogen out of the air. It's the most common element in the air. And it's costing billions and billions of rands. But actually, it's free around us if you can just get it into the soil. And we have plants that do it. We don't always use them. Okay, so it's not a matter of planting your mixture, close the gate, and five years later you go and have a look and say, okay, this is the end of this, next year will be wheat or barley or whatever. Not as easy as that. Just to run through one cropping season, if you plant your cover crop early in the season, that means you have a lot of time to have biomass growing on the field and you can produce a lot of biomass and you can graze it during the season. But then you have to remember your weeds is also going to set seed earlier because you started growing early in the season. Whereas if you wait two or three weeks before seeding your cover crops and you can get one hard grazing in on that field after the first winter rains and put the weeds back a bit or even spraying something on them and then planting the cover crop, you're going to have a lot later season and you're going to have less weeds there. And if you have two camps, one planted early, one planted later, you're going to have a more constant feed flow on your farm because these that you planted first, you can graze first and the other ones you can plant or graze later. And the weeds are going to set seed later if you plant later. So you have more time at the end of the season to terminate it. You don't want everything to be right for grazing at the same time and have to be terminated at the same time. So by staggering the planting time, you can extend your grazing time and everything doesn't have to happen at the same time. So it doesn't have to interfere with your cash crop seeding. You can do it prior and after, and that way staggering also your fodder flow during the year. And under different conditions, I suppose it's quite normal that you add more of a certain seed after two years or three years or four years in seeding of a different type of seed over your five rep period if that's the period you're looking for yeah so if you're going to seed one camp for the next five years you'll try and alternate the mixture the whole time because that also helps for the diversity so if you included a lot of legumes the first year the next year you're going to have a lower amount of legumes And the other thing you have to take into account is actually the weeds growing on the field because that's also roots. It's part of the environment you're managing. So if you know you have a lot of cereal or grass weeds on your field, you're not going to sow the grass seeds or cereals in that mixture. You're going to reduce the amount of cereals you seed because you already have it. It's for free. 
Normally it's a problem, but in the cover crop it just forms part of the mixture. So you use what you have in the environment, that's also going to reduce the cost of your mixtures. And over the period which you have the cover crops, the composition of the weeds are going to change. So you're going to adapt your mixture according to that also. So the thorny question, I suppose, if we think of the Overberg now and the wheat region there, the concept of cover crops and the competition for moisture that we consistently hear about from farmers and the concern, and we spoke earlier in other episodes of this podcast about how that that drive for soil moisture was actually the thing that led to the drive of the adoption of conservation agriculture in the first place. So speak a little about this cover crop stealing my moisture scenario. (laughs) If you plant a cover crop in the winter growing season and you're planting wheat the year after that, theoretically there's no chance it's going to have an effect on the wheat production. And you have to think about the long-term effect of cover crops. If it wasn't for the long-term effect, we won't be doing it. So you're increasing the amount of biomass going onto the field. Um, So that's more carbon on the field. If you have a layer of a cover from the cover crop, that's going to prevent water going out of your soil. Once that material is broken down and goes into the soil and has a positive effect on your soil carbon, you're going to hold on to more water. So the long-term effect of cover crops just increases the amount of water available to plants. So you have to think long-term and short-term it's not supposed to have any effect on the crops except benefiting them in terms of nutrients and then later on the carbon going into the soil. Yeah, it doesn't only hold on to water, it also holds on to nutrients. So you create a sponge in your soil for nutrients and water with the cover crops. So that far outweighs the belief that there's a negative effect on soil moisture of physically the crop growing there. And then there's still some people who are suggesting that we need to have a, a cover crop that follows on from a cash crop in our wheat regions. Most people are saying that it's just not possible. There just isn't enough moisture in the system at that stage and that any moisture that there is going to get used up. What are your feelings around the early summer cover crop? It varies from region to region. If you don't get any rain or you have only 15 to 20 moles of rain during the summer, it's going to be difficult. But there are parts that receive more rain and then it would be possible to plant a cover crop in the summer If you're scared of the use of moisture from that summer cover crop onto your next winter wheat season, you can terminate two months before you set your wheat seeds or your cash crop. But the important thing to remember is if we have a dry winter, we have a bad cash crop yield. And if we have a good winter raining season, we have a good cash crop rain. It's not that if you have a good summer rain, you have a good cash crop yield because we cultivate our crops in the winter. So or the rain that has the main effect on production is in-season rain, not out-of-season rain. So if you utilize some of the out-of-season rain to improve your soil and the long-term water holding capacity of your soil should just be beneficial and not negative. 
Then coming around to the termination of cover crops, what is your rotation or your plan there in terms of terminating cover crops? When, how? Normally we look at our weeds, so we try and terminate the cover crops before the first weeds start to set seeds. We want those weed seeds to be infertile. So you can either use rollers or chemically terminate them. The difficult thing about using a roller to terminate cover crops, as soon as a roller eats a rock, it's not 100% effective. That makes it difficult. And it also depends on your system you're following. So a lot of our cover crops is planted the year prior to medics. I don't mind if I don't have any cover crops in my medic field. So we go in with a contact herbicide and we only spray the patches where we have weeds in the field where the cover crop is growing. So the rest of the field's cover crops can set seeds. If the cover crops grow the next year in the medic, it's not going to be an issue. It gets grazed and that way you don't have to spray the whole field. I don't see why you have to do it. You have the next year to take care of that problem prior to your cash crop. So if you're going to have cover crops for five years without a cash crop, you can let them set seed. I would try and manage the weeds, so spray where necessary to kill off the weeds, but it's not necessary to kill the cover crops if you don't have a cash crop the next year. Any questions, Hank? I sure Hank's got a lot of other comments he can make, but your last year, for example, your fifth year, how do you get rid of the cover crop to move towards your cash crop for the next year? What's your preference in terms of a system or a practice? Still use chemicals to terminate the cover crops. It's just the most effective method at this moment. We're trying other stuff. So we spray it with a gramoxone or paraquat, which is just a scorching product. It's contact. It's not a systemic product. So you just want to kill off the above ground biomass. You just have to get your timing right on that because normally if you're starting to get low soil moisture, the plant won't regrow. Whereas if your soils are still quite moist and you just scorch them, they may regrow. The regrowth is also not a problem. If you have sheep, you just put in a few sheep in quite a large paddock because then you want selective grazing they go in they eat off all the green shoots that's regrowing and then you have that problem also sorted but at the moment yeah we're still using contact herbicides to kill off the cover crop just before they set seed if we're planting a cash crop the next year maybe i'm repeating myself but the other perspective from the same question you think we've got enough cover crops to survive typically the warm very high temperatures and maybe low rainfall of the summers in the western cape we're still limited on the summer cover crops and specifically the species we don't have that much it's almost just the sorghums in some of the regions that survive looking for solutions but yeah there's some of the regions within the western cape where it's physically impossible to plant a cover crop in the summer but it, it depends on years. Some of the years you get some rain in the summer, other years you don't get it. I think the primary focus should be to not just look at cover crops in the summer, to look at cover crops as a whole. And 
you can make the cover crop work for you in the winter season. Although you substitute one year's product, you can get a financial return of the livestock grazing the cover crop. And that also depends on how you manage it, but you can manage it to make money out of the cover crop. It doesn't have to cost money. Uh, I, would, I would guess that sometimes it's more a question of the high temperatures than the rainfall yes. uh, during the summer, especially yeah. in the Southern Cape. It is really difficult to produce something in the summer with the extreme heat. It's not conducive for plant growth. You spoke of terminating cover crops with using selective grazing by sheep, but primarily in your grazing program you use non-selective grazing as your management tool. So you don't want selective grazing, but you can use it as a tool in some instances. For example, if you have a pure medic pasture and you have ryegrass as a weed in a medic pasture, at the beginning of the season, the sheep actually prefers the ryegrass above the medics. So if you can then use selective grazing, you're going to selectively graze the ryegrass out of the medics. But you have to monitor the ryegrass because the moment they start setting ears or flowering, the sheep prefers the medics above the ryegrass. And then you have to switch your whole system to unselective grazing. But the ideal thing is, in generally, to have non-selective grazing, everything the same, so they don't select the stuff that's tasting better above the non-palatable fodder. But it's management, and I think you can use both as a tool. You don't have to get stuck in a specific system. But in general, non-selective grazing, high-intensity grazing, moving the animals the whole time is going to prevent the compaction. A lot of the negatives you get from the sheep you won't get, or any livestock, if you have the high-intensity grazing compared to selective grazing. So in my experience of, of traveling around the Overberg, farmers are not perceiving the value of non-selective grazing, not seeing it practiced anywhere. What do you think needs to change in order for them to perceive that as something that is of value to their farm and all the different value that it brings? Yeah, at the moment, the norm is to put the sheep in a paddock and leave them there until there's not enough food and you move them on. The moment you see how quickly a pasture can regrow if you move the animals faster and your carrying capacity would increase, you start seeing the benefits of high-intensity grazing. I think at the moment the main limitation is it's more labor-intensive and it's not that easy always to make all the paddocks smaller by using electric fencing or just having smaller camps. I always say the closer you get to it, the better. So because you don't have electric fence, don't stop trying to use high intensity grazing. You can still put all your animals together in one flock and move them quickly through the farm as to having 10 flocks all over the farm grazing on all different paddocks. But I think if we can move to a system, especially electric fencing, that's more mobile, quicker to move, um, easier to set up. It's also going to encourage more people to follow that system. 
Yeah, that system has so many benefits, taking away all the negative impacts that farmers complain about of, of livestock on their lands, as well as adding things like even distribution of manure, etc., to the farm, rather than it all being near the crib and the, and the water trough. In the end, all farmers are managing nutrients. If you're planting legume, you're taking nutrients out of the air, putting it into the soil, and that's the main purpose of cover crops, is taking free nutrients out of the air, putting it back into your sheep and into your soils. And the moment you have nutrients moving to one corner of a camp, you don't have even distribution of nutrients anymore. And then you have to apply nutrients which cost money and you have to buy the nutrients on the rest of the camp. So the important thing for managing your animals in our systems is to prevent the moving of nutrients to one corner of the field or down a hill or up a hill. You want it evenly distributed over the whole farm. And that is why we see a lot of negative impacts of livestock because they walk every day the same path to the water trough, compacting that path and then moving all your nutrients to the water trough instead of just spreading it out onto the fields. So there is a, a connection between precision farming and, and we're not speaking about precision farming yeah. but cover crops because you should measure your nutrients in your soil and adjust accordingly and that depends on how you cover crop distribution on the land yeah. last, the previous year. I'm a firm believer in precision grazing. There's a connection yeah. even cover crops, yeah. not focus only on your cash crops, even your, your yeah. cover crops. So much of what farmers do is working with nutrients and the more nutrients we buy from off our farms rather than produce on our farms, the tighter our economics get. And this problem is, is only getting worse as energy prices increase and the cost of inputs increase. What are the benefits nutrient-wise of having a cover crop? Okay, so I just looked at the above-ground biomass. In general, the rule of thumb is two-thirds of your nutrients is above ground in the biomass, one-third is below ground in the roots. But we only looked at the two-thirds above ground. Um, in terms of your macronutrients, we had in a four-ton cover crop yield, we had about 70 kgs of nitrogen, 30 kgs of potassium, and then 20 kgs of phosphorus. So, as I said, that's only two-thirds, but it's a lot of nutrients that's going back into the soil. But that also depends on your mixture. So, if you're further want to increase the amount of nitrogen you're just going to increase your legumes or the proportion of legumes and in the case where we grazed with the animals that also increased the total amount of nitrogen in the system in the end so and i assume the economics of all of that is good at the end of the day yeah so you don't just only pay the input cost of the cover crops but you can actually make a profit other of your cover crop season in terms of mutton or beef production because of the high nutritional value of the cover crops your animals in general grow faster compared to any pure stand of pasture and they're healthier in general so we add sheep on a pure medic pasture which is 
highly nutritious but you get some metabolic disease because there's an imbalance you have too much protein and too little fiber which you don't get from the cover crops and they grow just as fast or faster on the cover crops compared to the medics. So the sheep are like the soil biology, they don't like rice for breakfast, lunch and supper every day of the year? No, all <laughs> animals, all people and all soils don't like the same thing the whole time. So you have better animal health, but that's just the visual thing you see. The same is happening below ground in the animal's stomach. And you can produce much more feed from a mixed cover crop compared to any pure stand. Although cereals produce more biomass than a mixture, you have to take into account you're not feeding any animal just biomass or the soil just biomass. You're feeding the animal carbohydrates and protein and different nutrients. And if you add up all the nutrients in the mixture, you're going to have more nutrients compared to just cereal and the same for the soil so you're not just giving one thing you're giving a lot of things together and you have to add them all together to get the true value of that crop so how do we increase the adoption of cover crops across the wheat region of south africa i think the input cost of um, (laughs) cash crops at the moment is going to help you a lot You have to see the value and physically the economical benefit of using nature to provide the nutrients instead of providing it out of a bag. But in the end, everything boils down to economics. So as the fertilizer prices increase, people will start thinking about alternatives. And one of the great alternatives are cover crops. We have monitored different systems on the research farm and after 20 years the most diverse system has the best economics and it's not because all the crops in the diverse system make the most money but the the system as a whole uses less inputs and produces more because it's a healthier system so in the end diversity is more important than you think for economics And it's, once again, it's all about systems. There's looking at the soil as a system and then looking at your rotation as a system rather than in an annual basis of just what it made you that year, the economics of it. Yeah, so I thought of an example to explain different pillars of conservation agriculture and how it works as a system. And I ended up, they call it three pillars of conservation agriculture, which is no-till diversity and soil cover. If you go to engineer and you ask him to design a bridge over a river and he tells you putting three pillars for the bridge to keep it up, you're not just going to build a bridge with two pillars. You have to have all three of them. And the same is with when you're farming. You need to have at least those three pillars. You can strengthen one of the pillars or you can put in a fourth pillar but you can't take away anything that is the utmost basics you have to follow to get the soil starting to work for you to use nature to produce for you instead of just doing everything chemically or yeah mechanically 
What a wonderful discussion. Thank you very much, Renz, for your time and your story. That brings us to the end of episode three. In episode four, we will be exploring minimal mechanical soil disturbance. Once again with Renz Smith. Farming with Nature is proudly brought to you by SSK and Food Film Zanzi. If you are looking for a sustainable farming partner, then look no further than SSK. Visit ssk.co.za for more information.